0: we're live. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Strong Tea. I'm Vicky. I'm Katie. Now if you haven't heard an episode of Strong Tea before then why not? Please be sure to catch up on all the other episodes that we've done Uh, but thank you for joining us. Now the idea behind Strong Tea is to talk about the things that can be difficult to talk about So subjects and topics that can be considered taboo and things that we, including ourselves, should all be learning more about. Um, So this episode is part of our Pride series for this month, um, and it's highlighting the lives, experiences, challenges and celebrations of the LGBT plus community, something that's really close to our hearts. Now we've got a very special guest with us today, who Katie will give a proper and well deserved intro to shortly. Hi Dylan, big fan. Um, but before we do that, girling, fangirling. I am fangirling. <laughs> Hard. Um, what are we drinking today? Katie, you go first.
1: Um, I've gone for a nice herbal uh, tea. I've gone for an African winter blend, which is all uh, cinnamon and ginger and cardamom root and stuff. Good grief. You've I know. All out. It's very exotic. Good yeah. what, what about you, Dylan? What are you, what are you drinking today?
2: uh well a selection of different things apparently I've got half, <laughs> I've got half a coffee left and then a big glass of water but also some oat milk just in a glass just mm. just
1: in case just it's in case kind of, of it. like the full detox journey that <laughs> isn't yeah. it yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> what about you Vicky what are you on today I've gone for chamomile tea because I knew I'd be fangirling hard so I didn't want too much caffeine so I would be you know well scare Dylan off quite frankly So,
1: um could happen, yeah, it, could
0: happen. It, it could happen it could happen it so well. <laughs>
1: Well, we, we will stop fangirling just for a second, just before, just whilst we do the introductions. Um, but this is a two-parter, um, this podcast, and we'll come on to explain a little bit more about that a little bit later. Um, but we're very, very pleased and honoured to have the wonderful Dylan Holloway um, here with us today. Uh, talk to us about his transition journey. So Dylan, welcome and thank you for coming on to the Strong Tea Podcast. How are you doing today? very good thank
2: you both of you thanks for having me on the strong tea podcast this is uh this is actually the first podcast i will be doing to talk about uh my transition um since beginning the transition so uh yeah it's uh hopefully oh, we're thank right. you <laughs> very privileged yeah
1: and we'd, we'd love you to i mean i i i could sit we did the initial chat with you and we literally chatted for hours mm. um I mean, I don't even know where to suggest to start. So I'm going to hand the reins over to you to say, just tell us your story and tell us about your amazing life. Sure. Well, I think
2: it was either Winnie the Pooh or Piglet who said the best place to start is at the beginning. So that <laughs> is what I will do. So my, my name is Dylan Holloway. I am a, a singer, songwriter, artist, producer. Um, and I also am a trans guy. i 28 and... Um, I think I've always known, well, I know that I've always known that um, I'm a transgender person. But when I was young, I didn't have the language to articulate it in such a way. And um, if I go right back to the beginning, I remember I was born and I'm the second of two children. I had an older sister and then I was born. Came to create some some havoc in the household. <laughs> and um, I, just, I just always knew that even though me and my sister were were Best friends and we were really close we were just two different people. Um, she was a Disney princess and I was always the Disney prince um, and as a toddler I would uh, become very upset about the clothes that we were put in so if Hannah was put in a Sunday dress to go to um, a family event my mum would try and put me in one of the same and I would cry but without really having the the no know, knowledge to know why but i knew that well if hannahs wearing that then i shouldn't be wearing that and <clears throat> it got i got a bit older i suppose and then i started to be able to say to my mum like well the other boys don't wear dresses so i i want to wear trousers or, or shorts and this became more apparent when i went to my first school uh, where there was a um, separated uniform for boys and girls and um we had that uh, there was summer dresses for girls and then shorts and t-shirts for boys and i remember it was always so traumatizing every time that time of year would come around because i was it would be like i don't I, like i can't do that it sort of feels so unnatural to me and then i said to my parents like i i don't want to wear it so my mum bless her she did go into the school and said he's well at the time She's, she's going to wear shorts and t-shirt because doesn't want to wear this. And I don't think you should have to make him wear it. So I, I I did wear shorts and t-shirt to school, which was wicked, but still it was, it was, it was only ever accepted that, you know, my child is different, but not as different as I was, you know, it was like, okay, mm-hmm. well, my mum was like, well, you know, I've got, I've got a daughter and I've got a tomboy and I warmed to that as a, as a label because it had the word boy in it and I was like okay yeah I can be a tomboy yeah that seems like halfway or something like I'll I'll go with that and um, then I sort of I, I grew up a bit a bit more and where where I'd started my life in this this freedom and purity of like just being who I was at home and wearing what I wanted to do and playing with the toys I wanted to play with I moved into small cases of repression and categorization in in school and in society and then became like you know the tiny tiny rebellion and defiance of well no i'm i'm not going to wear that because that's not me no i'm not going to do that and and no i'm going to be the disney prince and i want to dress up as this on halloween and it was those moments of of defiance that i felt like yeah i'm i'm going to say who i am because i i felt like i had worth you know and and then then it came to like primary school secondary school when there really became this big divide of of the binary of like you're either this or you're this and if you don't fit into it you're going to stand out and you're either going to be bullied or ostracized or really lonely so you need to find a way to fit in and you need to do it quick so I sort of had to adhere to the rules and the authority which like I'm a pretty defiant dude like I like to do things the way that I want to do them so it wasn't always easy but I kind of felt like right if if I'm gonna have to live this life uh in a female journey then how can I make it so that it's acceptable enough to society and in a speech I I made a couple of nights ago I was saying how I decided I would I would you know i had been I've been giving myself just enough like just enough uniqueness to still be loved by other people just enough freedom to be happy in the things i wanted to do and like just enough room to have moments of magic in my life so i thought to myself you know i i always knew that i was into women and i i thought to myself right how is there any way that at least I could marry a woman because I can't do anything but that? Because when you're a kid, it's all about, well, I must grow up and get married. That's just the rules, (laughs) right? Especially from a small town. I I grew up in Newquay in Cornwall and that's just what people did. So I was like, well, I'm not, I'm categorically not doing anything but that. So is there a way I can do that? And then I started to learn more in the consciousness that you could be gay and, and that gay was a legitimate existence that people went through, whether it was tough or not, I was like, oh, at least I could do that. So I thought, right, I could be a gay person, but not yet. You know, I won't tell anyone yet. I'll just be that androgynous alien kind of person in school that got on with everyone and no one bullied because I I knew that that was a potential threat, you know, because of being so different. So I made sure that I was nice to everyone and funny and willing to listen to other people so that I would never be the person that people came for. Um, moving out of school it was right I'm gonna I'm gonna go elsewhere where I can just grow and be more more I don't know around people that might be different and I moved to London to to start making music
1: sorry what age was that
2: I was 17 when I moved to London so I, I, I left my secondary school Um, in the middle of A-levels because I was like I'm kind of just done (laughs) I'm done with being in this town I'm done with learning stuff I want to go out and learn it in the way that I want to learn it so I moved to London and it was then that on the one hand people might say I came more into my own because I was more experimental and I was going out and meeting people and surrounding myself with a tribe that I wanted to surround myself with but in reality I was submerging myself further down a path that I had put myself on to make other people feel more comfortable so you know I I, I was like yeah okay I'll move to London and I, I'm a gay girl and I will go to gay bars and I will meet another gay girl and we'll be together and like it will be this almost reality of what I really wish I could have because so did you
1: did you identify at that point where you were like I'm not this isn't quite right you were so you were still feeling that that was you you know you were like right I know I want to be with women I still don't feel quite quite right in myself is that you still Uh, identify that yeah
2: yeah I I I know I've always felt that yeah I felt that that since day dot like I really did but it's something that I repressed because I, I I did say things as as a child like I like I said like you know um the other boys don't wear that or um you know I actually remember I opened a card on my sixth birthday and I was sat on the bed with my mum and my dad and my sister and I opened it up and it said to to my youngest sister from my my sister. And I looked up and I said, well, I'm your youngest brother. And there was just silence in the room and it's on video. And it's kind of sad. Like, it's a bit heartbreaking because at that time, like I was just this pure bundle of energy who just knew who they were. And I was just trying to relay it. I was just trying to say it. But I wasn't met with any, well, I wasn't met with anything, really. It was just silence. So you then kind of internalize, that's unsafe. Like, that's know. unsafe to do, so don't do that again. And I probably did do it, like, a handful of times and was met with the same thing. And I, I cannot blame my parents or my sister for not saying anything because, you know, when you grow up also in a society that's so strict among the binaries, this is whats is what it is, and you take it as given, and then you're five-year-old says well I'm a boy you're like oh sweetie you're not you know you just turn it off because kids are kids they just say weird shit tomorrow they're gonna oh sorry can we swear
0: yeah yeah go for it
2: <laughs> tomorrow tomorrow <laughs> I might say oh I'm a penguin you know and and mm. so parents just you know it's it's they can't always take everything a child says as given and and that mm. is what it is but as the child when you're saying something you know how profound it is to you and then when you're not met with anything you're like wow that's not okay so I'm yeah. gonna I'm going to see how I feel about saying something like that again. So, so I always knew, but I kind of felt like I didn't know what it was. And all I knew was that you could be gay. That was a thing. I can't even remember how I came to find that out. It was probably something like tattoos, music video, all the things she said, you know? <laughs> like when you're like, oh my gay, you know, that gay is a thing. Okay. Um, but there was no trans representation, there was nothing. So, it, I just thought I was the only one, the only one in the world. Um, so, yeah, scooting back to London, I thought, I thought right, um, I'm, I could be a gay girl and be with another gay girl. And it's like an ish version of what I could have. And even then, though, like I, I resented and recoiled in myself anytime anyone used the word lesbian, not because I have anything against it at all, but because it really didn't represent me mm. because, you know, it's anyone who identifies as a as a woman. Who, who likes anyone who also identifies as a woman. And for me, I was like, well, I'm, I'm a dude. So I will say that I'm a gay girl because it felt more masculine to mm. say that. So yeah. I used that kind of um, language around myself. And yeah, so I was saying, I was sort of like, I'd submerged myself down this path that was even less, l- less true, just, just probably to uh, drown out the reality of what my life was. And I was like, if I can just just go into it, you'll be fine, you'll get there, just keep going. And eventually, you'll normalize yourself and that will become your reality. And it probably in in the same breath is what a lot of gay people do who repress themselves and go, just be with the opposite sex. You'll be fine, you'll get through it. It's okay, you can do that. And then they Mm. may get married and then later in life, they're like, I never was. I was always gay, always queer, always a lesbian and it's sad that we do that and it's sad that we need to feel like we have to do that mm. um but you know here we are and here are these podcasts like helping people <laughs> realize that you don't have to do that but so it's yeah.
0: kind of it's fa- it's not even failing it's kind of living those experiences that at the time you think are truths all the way mm. out in order yeah. to then become yeah. your authentic self it you have yeah. to learn
2: yeah yeah it's like the beauty in the contrast isn't it you don't Mm. know you don't know what you like until you realize what you don't like and 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 that's that's really beautiful as well um so yeah i guess 17 moved to london 18 met my then girlfriend in a gay bar and we were together for seven and a half years um so we had this strong standing relationship that lasted a great time um but towards the end of it, I'd started to open up about how I felt. And I'd sort of said, like, you know, I'm, I just I'm always, I always, feel like your boyfriend, you know, those sorts of comments, much like I did when I was a kid, like, oh, my youngest brother.
1: Testing the, I'm testing the water.
2: Testing the water. And um, my girlfriend was like, yeah, you know, yeah, being with you is very much like being with my ex-boyfriend. Because she, before me, had had a boyfriend and a girlfriend. And I said, you're, you're exactly like an ex-boyfriend, not like my ex-girlfriend. So yeah, I'd see that too. And then it sort of started to adjust her language a bit sometimes at parties, I like, oh, this is my partner. And, and I thought that was great. But then I'd sort of said, like, you know, edging more in towards it, like, I, I'm actually like, I think I'm a dude." like, you know, I'm just so like that. Like, it, I just don't feel gay. And uh, I don't know whether it was a lack of knowledge, on both parties, but the what I was met with again wasn't like acceptance of that reality, and again I sort of felt like God, this is so unsafe. Like even fifteen years on, for me to say this now, it's still not safe. Like, will this ever be okay or safe? And um, we ended up breaking up, and it, it wasn't because of that. Um, but then after our breakup, I I met someone else. And from the get-go, I sort of said those things because I was like, I don't wanna be in another situation where I have this whole thing again. So I'm just gonna test the water at the beginning. And then if that person goes, then whatever, they're brand new. And with, with this person, they were like, that's amazing. That's so great. Like, what do you think you wanna do about it? Do you wanna do anything about it? Let's talk about it. And it was just the first time I was like, wow, someone is listening to my story. So, so I started to, to, to think and expand myself more it's, it was, it's sad now, but I had to wait for someone else to give me the license to go, okay, I can look into this more because someone's gonna be on my team. It's like, it almost makes me wanna cry like now, mm. but like I had to wait for someone like just to know that there would be someone on my team before I could look into it anymore. Um, and then, and then that, that started to grow.
0: Did you, because obviously you've talked about being in that unsafe space and how you experienced it, those two profound times. But in your mind, did that ever make you question your, your yeah. truth, your, you know, your, who you are? Did that ever make you think, actually, maybe, maybe, maybe I shouldn't, maybe, maybe they're right. Did it ever make you question?
2: No, I don't think it did. It didn't ever make me question my knowledge of me but it made me question whether I would ever be allowed to be that me in 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 society so it made me question whether life was going to be a horrible hard journey or whether I would if I'd be able to continue doing it so I had I had really low points about that too.
1: When you met this person who sort of opened up the conversation to you and started to sort of say things like, you know, do you want to do anything about it? And mm. made it acceptable to explore that. Mm. Had you had more exposure at this point, you know, being in London and being in a much more sort of multi, I don't know, what, would you, what would you call it? I mean, London is so emotive. diverse, isn't it? It's yeah. so diverse. Yeah. it has every type of person you can imagine yeah. so had you had more exposure to trans people at this point you know were you sort of because before you sort of said I knew it well, was I didn't feel quite right but I didn't know what it was mm. so had you then sort of experienced it and sort of met people that you were like that's it that's mm-hmm. what I want to go
2: for yeah well I think that's a that's almost a two-parter because in in one breath yes i had become more conscious of the idea that you could be a trans person okay. um, but originally it came from media and films where the the narrative was that the trans person was weird the trans person was the butt of the joke the trans person was dangerous and very criminalized and and you know villainized so i sort of felt like oh, shit like not, that's not the truth mm-hmm. and Even more so if I was already afraid to tell people. Wow, blimey, it's going to be even worse now that I know that. So that was the beginning of like learning, learning the consciousness about it. But then when I when I started to go and I played London Pride and as a musician I was fortunate enough to play many of the prides: Brighton, Belfast, Dublin, uh, Manchester, and London Pride. At London Pride, I think 2019. um, in the midst of like meeting a new partner, I was playing Pride and backstage, I met the boyfriend of another one of the artists and we were chatting away. And then he said, oh, I like I'm trans. And honestly, my world stopped. And like, I was like, stop the carousel, I'm getting off. I'm getting off and I'm going on that, whatever ride you've just come from, I'm going on. I'm getting on the teacups with you, mate, let's go. And honestly, I, I was like, oh my God, this is possible for me this this because he's standing right in front of me and he's got a, a girlfriend and you know he's happy and I, it was so expansive and I think that was that was the real turning point I'm, I'm one of those people that is incredibly off on something or on on something when I, when when I, when I'm in a relationship and then I'm over it like I'm over it and that's sad but that is what it is and when there's something I want to do when I say that I want to do it that's why I'm going to go and do it like like I'm like a in a china shop like i have to go and do that thing and when i saw that and i could see it was possible for someone else i was like everyone get out of my fucking way because i'm going to go and do that and having the support of um a couple of people that i dated around that time who who i think it's like when you start to embrace something yourself and you own it you attract more people who are on that same page and wavelength so the more I you know I'd met this original girl and said these things she was like yeah wicked for you let's chat about that and I was stood more in my power and then I started to realize hold on if I stand in my power more and I am so certain and so sure and confident that people embrace that in return and they're like yeah well he knows so and it was just I was met with way less resilience at that point um so um What's the word? Way less like resistance, wall. resistance, resistance yeah. yeah. way less resistance at that point. And that that for me was like, absolutely. Life is it needs to sort of shuffle around. But I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew that I needed to do something and I was going to. But I didn't know what. Um, so I then started to research and I'd messaged this particular trans guy a couple of times on Instagram. And he directed me towards things you could do and places where you would start. And then I just went in this, like, rabbit hole of, right, what what should I do and how should I do it? And it began, I think, with, um, for me, my, my biggest source of dysphoria and dysmorphia was my body, the shape of my body, the the top half of my body. Like, it was... I was never, I was never someone that had a big chest, but it was a chest enough that wasn't masculine, you know? And I was like, the fuck is this? These are accessories that don't belong to me. Accessories, I love that. (laughs) One of my my best friends at home said that to me once and I was like, that's so right. I was like, they are random (laughs) accessories that just don't belong on this mannequin. What's happening? So so I was like, that is my biggest form of like self-hatred. And it had always been that way, like, W- walking up and down stairs, it was uncomfortable. Or like having sex with someone, I have to keep my T-shirt on because I didn't want to to be exposed anywhere. Mm-hmm. So that for me was number one. So I looked into top surgery first and what you have to do and the ju- hoops you have to jump through in order to do that. And I'd said to like my best friends in London at the time, like, this is something I'm into. And they were like, well, okay, cool. Like, let's do that. Do you, do you think you are looking to anything else? Are you going to change your name? And I was like, all I can think about right now is being more comfortable in my body. And it was so consuming, this feeling of like, when someone says, yeah, you, you, you can have something, you're like, well, I want it now, you know, and I have to have it now. And until I can get that, I can't concentrate on anything else. And uh, so I started putting the feelers out and to contact um, surgeons and, and uh, gender identity clinics. Uh, and then lockdown happened and I traveled back to Cornwall and I was in my parents' home because I didn't want to pay rent in London uh, when everything was closed. So I was down there and that gave me more time to be really reflective and alone with myself and really like, because I couldn't go and have that surgery at that time. And I, and I realized that the waiting list had a bit of time. So I was like, right, I have to just learn more about me. And as I started to unravel those things, it, it became very painful to realise that actually this, this is a bigger trauma than emailing a surgeon and hoping to have something happen in, overnight and that you need to heal more as a person and, like, that isn't going to come from just something external. You have to do some internal work and go back and, like, figure some shit out.
0: Can I just say... That takes people years to figure that out. Mm. That, t- you know, people who, like you say, want the answer straight away. They won't work on that inner workings yeah. and, you know, the thought process. They won't work on that. They'll just go and get the work done and hope the rest follows.
1: Yeah. So, But yeah. do, you th- do you think you would have done that had you not been forced to do it because of lockdown? Do you think you would have sort of shut yourself away and thought, I need to process this?
2: Um, probably probably a bit of both like had had it lockdown really made that happen. Mm-hmm. It was like the the rug being pulled out from under you like like mm-hmm. an earthquake like y- this is going to happen to you whether you like it or not you're going to be forced to slow down and I think that happened for the world. obviously a lot of tragedy happened from it but but on the silver lining some some, some things happened to people as well that that are also good and that was one of mine. So I was forced to do it but I am I'm also quite a spiritual person. And I do like to, I like my own company and I like knowing that I'm never on autopilot. And that, that came from the, the existence of 20 years of being on autopilot that I was like, I don't want to do that ever again. Mm. So now I'm going to be more conscious in my approach to my life and make sure that if I'm doing something, it's because of a genuine authentic reason, not for external validation or not for ego. It, i'm going to do it because it's something that it means something to me
0: oh um, my god sorry yeah. <laughs> i'm just kind of yeah i'm, I'm nearly 41 and i've not i'm not even there yet do you know what <laughs> i mean it's just yeah fascinating yeah.
1: so what happened yeah. what happened next then if you like after I'm, I'm assuming you had to wait till after lockdown for things to sort of start the ball rolling because of covid being so you know shut down for everyone wow you would think that. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I was also
2: very proactive in things I could do. So I thought, right, what I really want to do. Well, because at this point, even though I was researching top surgery, let's say, I hadn't told my family how I felt. And I was forced to be in the household with them. And I was like, I'm going to have to do that. <laughs> before I go and have some, some kind of surgery and come back like, whoop, you know? So, and, and also, like, I, I love my parents and I know they love me and I want them to know me, you know? I, you can't have a best friend but then keep a million secrets. So I wanted my parents to know who I am because I knew somewhere deep down that even though it might be scary to expose myself, that they would they would love me still even though the world tells you that that might not be the case. Mm -hmm. And so often people are so fearful. Parents are so fearful for their child to enter into a world that might not be so kind that they project onto them. that It's the wrong thing to do when really they might know it's the right thing to do, but they're so scared for their child. So I was like, you know, what? I'm just gonna have to do it. So I had that conversation with my parents and then I was like, right, I can do things like, I'll have my name changed i'll get my my driver's license i'll get my passport i'll go to the the i'll email the banks and get those things changed so I had that done and then then I started to have because I did zoom consultations with uh, gender identity clinic and I could do those things in zoom um, um, in lockdown
1: <laughs> before we get into that I just want to know how did how did it go with your parents how how did that conversation go? Because I know be, there might be people listening to this that, yeah. you know, are, are terrified to do it. Yeah. I know not everyone's experience is going to be the same, but how was it for you?
2: Um, well, I don't, it's obviously not the same for all trans people, but I find that most trans people that I've spoken to often have this scenario where they've come out a few times in their life. So they come out originally perhaps as gay or queer or lesbian, and then later will come out as trans because you're sort of stepping stony over it. And that might change, Hope will It hopefully it will change in the future because we're becoming more aware. But I, so I, I'd had the the insight of doing it once before. Uh, so my mum my made me laugh actually, because she, she said to me after having done it the second time, she was like, Dylan, I always know when you're going to tell me something like that. And I was like, <laughs> how? She was like, you're very, very, very quiet and you're not a quiet boy. <laughs> So very quiet. And then all of a sudden you do this big inhale. like, And she's like, and we're all just waiting to hear what it is. <laughs> and I, I, I do do that. And in that moment, I am just preparing myself and then exhaling with all the information. But it's interesting to me that both times that I came out, um, I, I did it not with any um, labels. I did it with, the emotion and the energy of of the feeling. So when I when I came out the first time, I said to my parents at the breakfast table with my sister there, who knew already because I'd already said I need your support. I said I have a girlfriend and I love her, and that was how I said I'm with I'm with a woman. But I because I wanted it to mean something rather than just being this is a, a label. And then this, when I came out as trans, I said. It was actually my birthday, and um, my parents said, well, Dylan, like, what do you want? I well, Actually, it wasn't Dylan at the time, I suppose. Like, what, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, I want you to understand me as your son. And that was how we started the conversation um, of me being trans, and only after I sort of said, well, you know, there are words to describe it, and it's this, and it's pronouns, and these are the things we can do to help you understand me as your son and yeah that that has uh worked i don't know i don't know what i was expecting but both times when i used emotion to describe it it sort of hit home because people can resonate with something they can feel i love someone this is my girlfriend and i love her or we've experienced love or i want you to understand me as x we all have wanted to be understood by someone else as something so yeah
0: I think that's so powerful that you've taken away the labels categories binaries of things and been able to kind of express yourself in that way and again I don't I certainly haven't looked at it in from that point of view before but that's even more powerful than saying I I slot into this category which might be different from what you thought but it's Mm. it's coming from a genuine I am a person this is how I feel and this is what it is and yeah yeah. with the whole sounds awful retraining because I think it is retraining people's brains with yeah. making sure people are aware of your pronouns and mm. and so on. What was that like and and obviously it's it must be an ongoing thing mm. um so yeah how how is that reeducation and relearning of other people around you
2: um, How do I find it or how do you how, how both
0: we- how do you how do you do it and how have you found it in in response
2: okay um so with my with my parents, it's probably a generational thing, but with my parents, I sort of when I said I want you to understand me as your son, they'd sort of said, Well, how can we do that? And I'd said, you know, pronouns, name, da da. da. And my dad, bless him as well. He was like, Oh, I was never very good at English. I can't tell the between a noun and a verb and a pronoun. I don't know what a <laughs> pronoun is. You know, how can I know what a pronoun is? And I was like I was like, you know what, dad, forget I said pronoun altogether and just think about the way you describe other people. So when mum says, do you want a cup of tea? Like, or does, does she want a cup of tea? Or like, or, uh, have you asked him? That's all a pronoun is. You don't need to know the definition of it. It's just those, those words that describe people. So I said, if you were describing your own brother or your dad, that's how I would like you to describe me. And again, without that like like the I don't know like it, it did take a minute like I can't can't lie because also it's a habit like these people birthed me and then looked after me for 26 years at this point and had had this habit of saying these these terms and these little phrases that we would use like in terms of endearment and and you just get used to it so as humans we're all learning all the time and you have to as, the, as a trans person or a non-binary person, you, you have to expect that there will be mistakes. But I think it's, it's making sure that the, the, the respect continues, even if someone does make a mistake, even though it might hurt you the first few times, give, give them time to, because they're trying. If they're trying, that's where it really matters. If they say it wrong and then they correct themselves, they're trying and like, ap- appreciating the effort as, as well. Um, but with my friends, it was so delightfully simple, and I really am I'm grateful for that because I basically messaged all of my friend uh, WhatsApp groups and everyone that I was I was so sort of friends with, and I basically said, "Yo, this is a situation. I've come out of trans. I am going to go by Dylan, and I want you to change my name in your phone to Dylan." And like these are the pronouns that I'll use. And I, these people weren't, weren't all together, but I had then the influx of people, friends on my phone, who basically just replied with an updated name and like a new picture of me in the thing, like, done it, dude. Here you go. No worries. Love you. Big, big up, man. Like, well done. And it was just like, wait, no one's, no one's even questioning this? No one's gonna say anything. You're all just supporting me? You mean I could have done this 20 years ago? <laughs> Like it was just, it was, it was amazing and painful at the same time because I was like, shit, maybe I could have done this a long time ago. and been more, uh, had more oomph behind what I was saying, more courage to be stronger in my approach to it before, but would I have learned the same things? Probably not. So I'm happy to be where I am. Um, but yeah, everyone's been great. And then it's uh yeah it's hard to say because I know everyone's story is different and not everyone will have that same response
1: we talked um before we we got into those sort of um details about your family and when you came out and things um a little bit about surgery and things and you mentioned gender identity clinics yeah now for anyone that doesn't know what that is I mean, mm-hmm. it's probably self-explanatory from the name, but can you just explain what that is for a trans person?
2: Yeah, so the Gender Identity Clinic is a, it'll be a collection of um, uh, psychologists, uh, counsellors who basically uh, speak with you prior to accessing any medical transition uh, outlets. Um, so you you essentially have to be, Diagnosed with having gender dysphoria, before you can access hormone replacement therapy, before you can have any gender realigning surgeries, um, and they basically chat to you for. Well, I guess it would it would probably depend uh, upon the person, but you have an initial consultation of like an hour, and in that hour, they'll ask you specific questions and gauge gauge your answers, I suppose, and if they deem you under whatever their guidelines are as having this gender dysphoria you can then move forward with your desired requests
1: (laughs) okay Um, yeah (laughs) so you you went to one of these clinics did you say you were having these via zoom consultations during covid yeah yeah and so they i don't know they diagnose you with gender dysphoria and then they approve the next step how does it work
2: yeah. So they basically yeah. So they, they sort of put you through. It. They ask, ask you a bunch of questions, and ju- they basically are trying to ascertain whether you sound like someone. It, it's all it, it's all very almost a bit speculative, really, which is kind of painful because if you if you say you you are something, then you you are that thing. Uh, but I, but I suppose also they have they have to be aware that some people. Uh, might not be in the best frame of mind or, or not, that it, not that I have ever known this to happen, but coercive, it could be possible, you know, stuff like that. So you have to be sure that if someone wants to make possibly irreversible changes to their body, that you're doing it with the best information going into it. So they're educating you on what the, what the things entail, but then also making sure that you are, that you have that as a diagnosis as opposed to just someone who might be coming for, because they're curious or wanting right. support or suggestions. So someone, someone might come to a gender identity clinic and just say, I'm, I'm incredibly confused mm-hmm. and I don't know. Right. And I might need your help. And at that point, it would almost be irresponsible to say, oh, I know what the answer is, but let's get you some hormones. You know, mm-hmm. So they, ha- they, have to, they have to take it on a case by case basis
1: Sure.
2: Um, to, to, to make sure that they're helping you in, in the right direction. So I, I was doing that by, by Zoom.
1: Um, I have to, I have to ask because I don't think I, I would be able to relate. And I I'm just desperate to understand mm. when you had your top surgery done, how, mm. how did you feel? Like how, it, what sort of emotion came from that? Because obviously you've explained how, how um, the dysmorphia was such an issue for so long. Yeah. Like what, what emotion came from that?
2: I don't even know if I know if there's a word in the dictionary that describes <laughs> the elation the pure <laughs> shackles being removed it was it was almost like it was so blissful I thought it couldn't I thought for a second maybe this isn't even real and I thought at one point I was like I might wake up tomorrow and I'll be back and like I'm actually getting choked up now thinking about it but it was like it was so Good that I was scared that if it got taken away, I would it would ruin my life. Oh. Um, but it, it, like, and that isn't isn't me trying to put a downer on it, but that's just to, to show mm. the severity of the difference, the disparity between my feelings towards it. But it was like all of the all of the versions of me, like my one year old, two year old, three or seven year old, seventeen year old, were doing like cartwheels, and they'd started this party <laughs> inside my body, right? And I could feel it on every inch of my skin. But in the room with just the nurse who had done my bandage, she was like, "You happy?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to play it cool. Like, yeah, this is
1: amazing. Yeah, it's cool." But
2: inside, I was, I was literally, I was off the chart. Wow, I can't,
1: I can't, I can't even relate to that because there's just, I suppose, there's nothing else like it if you've been yeah. in a frame of mind for so long. So, yeah. from that point, what, mm. what, at um, what point did you start the hormone replacement therapy, and how? like for anyone that hasn't known about that or hasn't experienced mm. anything like that, how does that work?
2: Mm. Um, so I, I'll answer the second half first. So h- hormone replacement therapy is just um, using or being prescribed the dominant hormone that exists uh, in, in a body assigned male at birth and a body assigned female <laughs> at birth. Um, so testosterone, or oestrogen, progesterone. I, 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 I. And actually, actuality, I'm not, I'm not an expert, so I can't even say that which one of those. How, how much the, the is it is in trans feminine people, because I don't know. But um, for trans males, um, to be put onto testosterone, and then you, there are different ways of taking it. There are different ways of um, different levels and and things you have to adhere to. But then your, you, you. So I take a gel that I put onto my skin. Um, or some people can have it injected every, every uh, um, week or two, um, and then you your body starts to to change it. Well, transition um, because uh, because of the because of the hormones. I don't mean, know how <laughs> to put it. Um, they, they they create different different um, experiences to manifest in the body. Basically, mm-hmm. so so testosterone will deepen. Elongate and strengthen the vocal cords, and it redistributes fat in the body to to create different uh, muscular shapes. Um, so your your face shape changes um, because of the way it moves muscle and fat, and, um, um, and like a bunch of other random things happen. You get a bit more hairy. <laughs> <laughs> How
1: <laughs> um, quickly does that does that sort of happen? How quickly do you notice the difference? Um, I think it it must it probably changes. Bit
2: person to person, but you you can notice the changes. Some of the changes, like within the first few days, certain things start to happen. Your body feels tingling in certain places, and you like feel like things are shifting. Uh, and then, like I I personally noticed a change in my voice within the first two weeks. Like it, it, actually, even even a week to a week and a half, because I kept a uh, an audio vid- video documentary of everything that happened and watching them back, you can hear the gradual deepening of my voice. And you can even hear that something has changed within the first week and a half, two weeks. Um, but yeah, it, it, the, and, and so the first part of your question going back was when did I decide that I wanted to move onto that? And the reason in the first place, I didn't start with hormones, which a, a lot of trans guys do, start with hormones, build that up, and then you have top surgery. The reason I didn't do that is because as a musician, I was incredibly, incredibly scared that if I started hormone replacement therapy, testosterone, I would lose the ability to sing or it would change it in such a way that would remove the, the thing that people always enjoyed in my voice. And that might not seem like a big deal to other people. Like, you know, well, the quality of your life over just singing, you know, singing's is just a hobby. But actually, in my life, singing wasn't isn't just a hobby at all. Singing not only is uh, my only source of income, singing is not only something that brings me joy, but it's also something that helped me navigate and save my life because it was something that I could always depend upon to help me in my lowest, darkest days of being so confused. And as a writer, it was the only way I knew how to communicate my feelings um, through song. So when when people say, <clears throat> well, it's just your voice, like for me, it was the opposite because it was the reason that people found me attractive at some points, like, because, oh, you know, well, he's can, he can, got a nice voice. Like, and I thought, you know, at one point, this is like, the only redeeming quality i have so to lose that yeah is fucking challenging if yeah. you how did you how
0: did you have that battle how did the decision to take hormones where how did you get there what was the decision
2: crunch point i think the decision came for me after having had top surgery and thinking this could could be this could be great this is going to be amazing I felt all these cart, cartwheels and somersaults inside of me everyone is going to see now that I'm a man, I'm a right they when I went out into the outside world I was still misgendered all the time and I was like fuck this is not it now and I think I think that can happen not just with transitions with anything when you when you fix one thing you move the monkey onto the next thing that causes you the same problem that you perhaps you didn't notice was big deal because the other thing was in the way. Uh, and so it moved directly onto having this, this utter dysphoria about my voice, which is so hard because it had been my best friend for so long. Um, and I, and then I thought, you know what, at this point, it is the quality of life has to come before this uh, the, the, just being able to sing and perform and if I have to get a new job I will get a new damn job and if I have to lose friends or have to lose like lovers like whatever I will have to just do that because at this point in time I can't go outside of my house anymore having people see me as this thing that I'm not I'm tired of it and that was really when I just turned and I was like, I have to do this
1: it's such a powerful A powerful message, I think, because you know you've you've literally taken the ball by the horns, haven't you? Mm. And you've turned your complete life around. And Mm. I know it's not easy for anyone to do that because it might be, you know, the people they're surrounded by, or the life that they live, or where they live, or Mm. you know, Mm. they're just too too scared to do it. But I think your journey is so inspiring for people just everywhere because. it's 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 a, it's a it seems to me like a journey of hope mm, Thanks do you yeah. oh
2: God
0: I was gonna say and it's I think for me because strong tears is all about educating people and mm. you know I think it's going to be inspiring for trans folk but it's inspiring for cisgendered as well I mean just your story and how your thinking process as well it's yeah. We're back to I,
1: don't fangirl- have the, I don't have the language we're right? back to fangirling again I suppose in terms of uh, your journey um, and what you've been through you see it sounds like you've had a lot of support from you know your family and your friends Vicky and I one of our big things is to always try and be better allies and I I I I don't even know where to to start with this question but what advice would you give for people trying to support the trans community or to be better allies or if someone they know is transitioning mm. like how, how would you how would you sort of advise the the, 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 the Vicky and I live our lives from now on <laughs> um I think
2: Almost like how I described coming out both times was was led with um, emotion and feeling. I think if you can give that to someone else before judgment, it would help tenfold, everyone. It would help you as the listener, the receiver of information, but it would also help the the person who's trying to explain. And what I mean by that is, if you can say i might not understand you but you are worthy of having a life that you feel happy to have and i i might not get it and i might not know why you want to do that and i might not even understand how hormones work and i might not know xyz or think i might not even think that what you're feeling is genuine but you're telling me you're feeling it, and that deserves me to understand, like, listen. And you deserve that, I think. Giving, giving someone your love before needing to get it, you know?
1: Like a validation. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Um, and then research, I suppose if there's something that you really want to help with you can learn about it and it doesn't have to be so heavy Mm -hmm. you don't have to read every trans book (laughs) you don't have to read all the manuscripts on what each individual course of treatment will do but if 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 I guess if, if someone has said something like that in, in your life and just just find something about it on YouTube or on Google that explains pronouns and why people might want to use them or why someone might be advocating for a gender neutral bathroom at work instead of saying well I don't I don't understand why you need it just think well they've said that they need it and lead with they deserve to f- have a place that makes them feel safe so how can I help you do that I don't I might not get why you feel like you need that because I don't feel it but for some reason or another, you do.
0: Do you think the reticence to actually not do that, I should say workplaces, a a kind of a a place where that happens a lot Mm. um, because it costs money to change things and add facilities, Mm. it changes. But do you think the reticence is that lack of understanding and that lack of knowledge or that kind of, you know, it doesn't apply to me?
2: I think it's both. I really think it's both. Um, I I went back into my school the other day, my secondary school, and it was not only the most healing process for me, I, I didn't go in there for that intention, but it was one of the first things I noticed. I, I went back in because um, a friend of my family runs now a created LGBTQ plus club in the school that runs on a lunchtime every other Thursday, where kids can come if they want to talk, want to learn more I want to find their tribe or whatever and um, I went I went back in there and these kids had like had way more than I had when I was at that age and for one I was happy about that because you know they had there was a gender neutral bathroom in my school and it just that made me feel so joyous um, knowing that these kids were having a different experience than I did but then you know the conversation was well what can asking me what can these 10 or 11 kids in this room do to help make it better for them and I was like let's just reframe that conversation you want these 10 kids to fix the problems that are falling down through all of the ranks in this school by themselves when they're already feeling ostracized and alone okay what well do you think that's going to happen what we need to do is educate from the top down it needs to be the 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 collective governors above the school, then the headmaster, then the vices, then the teachers, then the TAs, then the other pupils. We need to teach the other pupils about the LGBTQ plus community because so often, often, often trans people and gay people and queer people and non-binary people know who the hell they are. We know who we are, but we're being made to feel like we don't by people, by other people. And it's because the other people don't know about it. So... Someone said, well, maybe we could get, I said, you know, well, they sort of suggested we could get these kids to write their pronouns on their books. And I was like, that's a great idea. But think further than that. How about the teacher writes their name on the board and puts their pronouns so that every kid in that class understands that that's a thing that we can now do. You have to ask someone. You can't just assume. So ask people, OK, hi, Debbie, what are your pronouns? And then in every, every kid in the class puts it on their book because then everyone becomes more normalized to asking before assuming. And then that one kid doesn't feel so alone anymore. And mm-hmm. I think it's the same throughout, throughout this. It's not just schools. Schools is a great place to start because you're teaching the youth. But like in workplaces, it's not just taking the two gay guys and the lesbian and saying, well, you can do this if you want to. It's, it's making sure that everyone knows what the hell's going on.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think people are fearful? Um, I know when we had our first um, initial chat and I was saying, Oh my God, I don't want to offend you if I say anything like out of line and please tell me. Uh, Mm. You know, Vicky and I are always very open and honest about trying to, we're trying to educate ourselves and we're trying to learn. And Mm. the LGBTQ umbrella is so vast and so varied that Mm. it's impossible to understand and learn it all immediately. But do you think people are fearful? Um, probably specifically with trans and non-binary folk about misgendering. And so they sort of step back from it rather than confronting it and maybe asking questions. How, yeah. how would you feel if someone came up to you and you know and, and asked you about your journey? Um
2: yeah, I think people are fearful to get mm-hmm. it wrong because because some some people just don't care if they get it wrong, but that's because they have their own. Insecurities mostly, and they're projecting it onto other people. And then most people care if they get it wrong, so they go so hard. I think the way we described it last time was that when you come home pissed and you don't want to wake anyone up, so you're trying <laughs> yeah. to be really quiet in the house, but you end up knocking more shit over because you're trying so yep. hard. Yeah, yeah. Right, and I, I think it's the same in this context. Like people are trying so hard to say the right thing that they'll end up slipping up and making it worse, and then over apologising, and then bringing it up again to make sure that it, it's just. Sometimes it's just like a, a quick, oh, sorry, correct yourself and then move on. And if it happens again, sorry, I've done it again. I'll try harder and move on. And it's just those things. But I think if, if someone came to me and asked me, hey, hey, man, like, can I just check what are your pronouns? Cool. I'm he, him, you, what about yours? Because yeah. otherwise I'm assuming that I know what theirs is as well. And it goes both mm-hmm. ways. I think it's opening up that conversation to make it quite a normal thing um and yeah i mean it 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 might be something that hopefully in the future it changes but perhaps there there'll be some people who might find it quite tiring to always talk about their journey if they've been doing it for a long time if they've always been berated and only now that it's more in the public consciousness that they're becoming more accepted they might be tired to talk about their journey don't want to do it anymore um and i think you, everyone's going to have to take each person with their own like you, you can kind of judge from someone whether 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 you can ask more questions or even just ask them are you happy to talk about it um yeah but checking in with the the, the decencies first i think is great
1: yeah
0: do you have a trans icon
2: me yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, am no, my no. own trans icon. <laughs> um, do I have a trans icon? Um, I, no, I don't have a trans icon, but there are people in the world who I, who I think are brilliant. Um, Jonathan Van Ness, who has talked about using all pronouns, being gender non-conforming. Um, Alok, who's a public speaker and activist, like incredible person, so articulate and well-spoken, it's insane. Um, and then all the people that I meet at Prides who are just live in their best lives. Um, and, and in fact, I actually had a, a trans teacher at school, a trans feminine teacher who, when I was at school, she wasn't um, presenting feminine in school but outside of school was and it was it's only recently when i went back and now in school she is and i was like that's an amazing change to have shifted since i left school to now and and i would say all the people that i've met who have helped me realize something about me will be trans icons to me
1: Think um, I mean I could I could just talk and talk and talk about this for hours, um, and I'm so chuffed that you've come on and and shared your journey. We often do something called the final sip, which is oh. like f- final final thoughts. Nice. Um, and I guess probably yes, just to open up the floor to you, really, to either give any advice to anyone out there who maybe is in the position that you were in um or you know just yeah just the final set the final thoughts
2: <laughs> hmm. i mean my my final thoughts are that i i would like to empower people that's that's my i think part of my journey in life my why i'm here um, i really want to give like you said other people the message of hope that if you can own and be in your own worth about who you are and be so sure of it for now even if it changes again because people are fluid but if you can stand in it and confidently and say this is who the hell I am and everyone else needs to get on board with it or you need to leave I think that's when things start to change and I, I know that it sounds harder because some people might not have the greatest of friendship groups at the time or such an understanding family or feel like it's, it's, it's something that's so fearful to do. But I feel like your life changes the moment you stand so in your authentic shoes and go, this is who I am because you respect yourself more at that point. And, and the people who they'll just fade away. And I just think there's nothing more great than feeling the honest version of you. Because it's so liberating.
0: That's awesome. I'm writing that down. <laughs>
1: take, take notes, Vicky, quick, take notes. It's so funny because
2: like, people say, Dylan, you're so articulate. And I'm like sat here thinking I've just waffled and said a lot of the same words like five times in a circle. It doesn't sound that articulate to me. Not at all. <laughs> yeah,
1: it did on the other side. It was yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I'm going to write a book of Dylan's knowledge and Dylan's <laughs> wisdom. Just... <laughs> Well, we've come to the end of this episode, but we're super excited to be uh, welcoming Dylan back next week um, when he's going to be talking a little bit more about his journey, but from the music perspective and how uh, transitioning changed things for him in that respect. And uh, yeah, more about pride, really. So Dylan, thank you so much. And we will see you next week. And I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch up with you soon. Take care. Bye.